You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 19, 28 through 40. When he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, say, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jennifer. So, uh, last week, we were looking at how the church exists to glorify Jesus through the mission that he's given us. And actually, when Jesus gives the church that mission at the end of Matthew's gospel, he roots it in his own authority. And we see Jesus' authority most clearly through Holy Week. And today begins our celebration of Holy Week, and that's where this text comes in. Because the text that we're looking at today is the story of Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem, and he's on his way to be crowned as king. And actually, what we're going to see through this text is proof after proof of Jesus's undeniable authority as king. And so it's going to be so clear that Jesus is king that even the rocks would cry out his praise because of how indisputable his kingship is. We'll see how Jesus' entry into Jerusalem reveals his authority, but then we'll also see how the cross reveals Jesus' authority and how he uses that authority. So uh, let's pray one more time before we get into the text. Lord, I thank you for the praises that you have put on our lips this morning. I thank you that you for those in this room that you have already saved, that you have already revealed to them the proof uh, of Jesus' kingship. Lord, I pray that as you give us this word today, that you would pierce our hearts, Lord, that that you would correct us where we need to be corrected, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Lord, I pray that you would would change our hearts and renew our minds this morning. Spirit, give us understanding. Illuminate our hearts and our minds to see the word that you have for us this morning and to help us see the excellencies of our Lord Jesus. It's in your name that I pray this. Amen. So, looking at this text starting in verse 28... 
when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples. So this passage begins with a reminder for us that Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. And actually throughout the book of Luke, uh, Luke has been setting up Jerusalem as the place of destiny for Jesus. Everything that Jesus has done throughout his ministry has been leading him towards Jerusalem. And so at this place in this book, we know that whatever, whatever big climactic event is about, to, is, gonna, is about to happen is going to happen in Jerusalem. And also Luke further slows down things. Like if you notice, he really slows down the narrative time and really focuses in on Jesus. He keeps using he. He kind of zooms the camera in to really focus on Jesus and he slows down. He, he approaches Bethphage and then Bethany and then he's at the Mount of Olives. And so Luke is focusing, focusing us in and saying, hey reader, slow down. Something big is about to happen. Pay attention. And so let's see what that is. In verse 29, uh, the end of that, it says, he sent, uh, yeah, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So Jesus sends the disciples in the city to go get the donkey and he tells them ahead of time, where they'll find it. And some people have taken this to mean that like Jesus has made prior arrangements uh, with the owners of the donkey. But I, I don't think that's actually the case because again, Luke has been setting up uh, Jerusalem as the place of destiny. Jesus has been heading towards Jerusalem. He's not going back and forth. So actually what we're seeing here is our first proof of Jesus's authority in the form of his prophetic authority. We've seen that prophetic authority of Jesus throughout the book of Luke, and we're seeing it again here that, that he knows that this donkey will go ahead because of this prophetic divine anointment that God has placed on him. And so that's the first thing, uh, the first proof of Jesus's authority that we're seeing here. Uh, we're, and then in verse 32, the disciples go and so those who were sent left and found it just as he has told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. So uh, I told you it's like proof upon proof upon proof. We've already seen one. And then like in the next verse, we see another proof of Jesus's authority. And that proof comes in in the way the disciples act. Uh, what the disciples are doing, Jesus commands them, and they go and do exactly as Jesus tells them to do. And they say exactly as Jesus tells them to say. So what these two disciples are doing is they're acting as royal messengers for a king. And, you know, when you're a messenger for a king, like, it was really important that you got everything exactly right. That was the job of the messenger, to go and report exactly what the king said and do exactly what he told you to do. So when these disciples do that, when they act as these messengers, they themselves actually get the honor, they get the gift of becoming proof of Jesus's kingship. And uh, I, I think it's worth the, the little side note to say that this also shows us that when we follow Jesus' instructions, we get the gift of being proof of his authority. 
When we live our lives as Jesus has told us to and when we interact with people as he's told us and when we share the message that he's given us just as he shared it, we get that same gift of becoming further proof of Jesus's authority. And that's what these disciples are doing here. They, they themselves in their actions become proofs of Jesus's authority. We also see Jesus's authority when, when they answer the owners because the owners come out and they're like, hey, dude, why are you taking my donkey? Um, and all the disciples have to say is the Lord needs it. That's how powerful that phrase was. All the disciples have to say is the Lord needs it. Jesus needs it. And Jesus's authority completely overrules any claim to ownership that the owners of the donkey have. So we see yet again, so quickly, just another proof of Jesus's authority. And then moving on to verse 35, we see then they brought it to Jesus and after throwing their clothes on the donkey, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. So now they have this donkey and they're bringing it to Jesus and they put his clothes on it as a sign of honor for a king. Like that's a kingly thing to do there. They're giving him um, this saddle, but by using their own clothes to make this saddle for him, they're creating a distinction between themselves and Jesus. They are humbling themselves and elevating Jesus by using their own clothes to, to give him a saddle to sit on. Uh, what's also interesting is that they are the ones putting Jesus on the donkey. Jesus doesn't assert himself. He doesn't lift himself above the people because the disciples, they recognize Jesus's undeniable authority. And so the, the disciples, again, are proof of Jesus's kingship with their desire and their willingness to lift Jesus up and help him onto this donkey. What's also interesting about Jesus getting on the donkey here is that up until this point, Jesus has been walking uh, all of his journeys and really all the gospels up until this point. He's doing it all on foot. But kings, they don't walk in their coronation. Kings ride into their coronation because kings are worthy of that honor and authority. So in the same way, Jesus rides into his coronation because he is worthy of that honor and authority. And so then in verse 36, as they would for a king, they lay down their clothes on the road to give Jesus a royal entrance. And so again, Luke is putting all these details in this story to stack proof on top of proof on top of proof of Jesus's undeniable authority as king. But then going forward, Luke ramps it up with a couple of Old Testament references. The first being in verse 37, which says, now he came near the path, now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives. So this is the second time in like a pretty, short distance that Luke has mentioned the Mount of Olives. And so that's kind of a clue to us that, okay, we need to, like, why is the Mount of Olives important? It must be really important if he's mentioned it twice in these short amount of things. And so actually, uh, the Mount of Olives is a clue to point us back towards Zechariah 
And it's actually Zechariah 14, verses 3 and 4. And that says, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. So Luke makes a point to say that Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Olives to point us back to this text in Zechariah. And this prophecy in Zechariah is all about God coming in and defeating his enemies that have captured Jerusalem and setting up his king over the city. And so by emphasizing the point of Jesus coming from the Mount of Olives, Luke is demonstrating again, he's offering further proof of Jesus's authority as king over Israel. Let's look at Zechariah 14, 9. It says, on that day, the Lord will become king over the whole earth. The Lord alone and his name alone. Okay, so this is really cool because Luke, he's saying both, Jesus is king. But listen to that, on that day, the Lord, that's Yahweh, will become king over the whole earth, the Lord alone and his name alone. So by connecting back to this passage in Zechariah, uh, Luke is saying both, Jesus is king and Jesus is Yahweh. And so again, he's really ramping up this authority of Jesus because not only is Jesus king, he's also Yahweh himself in the form of, of a man, in the form of this Messiah that Yahweh will set up, come in, defeat God's enemies and reestablish the kingdom of God. And so that's, that's the messianic hope that, that Israel had. Uh, and so when they see Jesus coming down from the Mount of Olives, they have this prophecy in their head. They're thinking about Zechariah when they see him coming down. And in their minds, is undeniable proof that Jesus is, in fact, their king. So when they see this proof, they respond in this way in verse 37. Uh, He's coming down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And they say this, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So this crowd, they see Jesus coming down from the Mount of Olives on a donkey, and they believe that they're seeing their king riding into the city. And they believe that they're seeing their king riding in to establish God's kingdom. And we actually know this for certain because in uh, verse 11 of this chapter, Luke tells us that the people thought that the kingdom of God would come immediately right when Jesus entered into the city. And so they see their king riding in and they begin to praise God joyfully for all the things that they've seen Jesus do. And they're they're joyfully shouting out praise for Jesus as a people would for a king. And so they're seeing, they've seen all the miracles, they've seen him coming down the Mount of Olives and they praise Jesus saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that first part of their praise there is actually a reference to Psalm 118. Uh, And that's the second Old Testament reference that really ramps up this this proof of kingship. Because uh, Psalm 118 is all about, very similar to Zechariah 14, it's all about Yahweh's king coming in and destroying his enemies and establishing his kingdom. And and it emphasizes 
that that is proof that God's king coming in is proof of Yahweh's steadfast love. And so Psalm 118, it has that refrain about the faithful love of the Lord. And also talks about, just like Zechariah, the king coming in, kicking out the enemies, and reestablishing the kingdom of God. So by referencing this psalm, these people are affirming Jesus' kingship. Just like the two disciples before became proof of Jesus' kingship, with their praise, they are becoming proof of Jesus' kingship. Which is also cool, because that means a few minutes ago, when we were singing, we were becoming proof of Jesus' kingship. Uh, and so they, they, they are affirming that Jesus has authority to enter the city of God as the appointed king of God to kick out God's enemies. And actually, a neat thing, uh, this fact, this psalm was used in Israel's history as a royal entrance psalm. And so, again, the people see this undeniable authority of Jesus, and so they hail him as their king. The Pharisees, though, they see Jesus' authority, and they respond in a very different way. In verse 39, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. So the Pharisees also see Jesus' undeniable authority, but they want to downplay it. While the people want to exalt it, and while the people want to make a big deal out of Jesus' kingship, the Pharisees, they want to downplay it. And so they tell Jesus to rebuke the disciples and get them to be quiet. The Pharisees see the authority of Jesus, and they're afraid that it's going to cause problems for them. Um, because at this time, Israel was occupied by Rome. And, and I, you know, somewhat understandably, Rome didn't really take too kindly towards rival kings. Um, and Israel actually wasn't allowed to have a king while they were under Roman authority. So the Pharisees are afraid that this undeniable evidence of Jesus' authority as king is going to get them in trouble with the governing authorities of Rome. And so that's why they tell Jesus to quiet down the disciples because they want to downplay Jesus' authority because of what it might cost them. So Jesus then answers them by saying that even if these people were to be silent, his authority is such an absolute fact that even the inanimate, lifeless objects of creation would, would have to praise him. Because Jesus is, is so undeniably worthy of praise, just like we were singing, that if, if people don't do it, creation will. That is how undeniable Jesus' authority is. So what we've been seeing in Jesus' entrance here is proof on proof that Jesus is indeed king. What we also see, though, in a couple places is the human tendency to misunderstand how Jesus exercises his authority. We, we certainly see that with the response of the Pharisees, but even before that, we see it in the response of the people. Looking back at how the people respond, it says that they are praising God with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. And so Jesus, you know, he's been performing all these miracles through, throughout his ministry. And so they've seen those, and they've seen all this proof of Jesus' authority, just as we have. And they're recognizing him as God's Messiah. But they also fundamentally misunderstand 
the kind of king Jesus is. They misunderstand how Jesus uses his authority. Because, you know, remember, they're, for, they're thinking back to Psalm 118. They're thinking back to that passage in Zechariah. And so they're expecting Jesus to come in and kick out Rome and to kick out their earthly enemies using political and military force. But they misunderstand the kind of king Jesus is. Because Jesus doesn't use his authority to, to exercise political or military might in order to establish his kingdom. It's not the kind of king Jesus is. Uh, but actually, some of us share that same misunderstanding of how Jesus uses his authority. There's been this tendency in church history, and we find it a lot in the American church as well, to want to kind of use Jesus' authority as a weapon. We, we want to exercise as much power as possible and control and kind of try and destroy our enemies, our political, our social, even our theological enemies. We want to, to gain as much power as possible to destroy them using Jesus' authority as our justification. But if Jesus doesn't even use his authority that way, why should we? Jesus doesn't use his authority that way. And so when we have this desire to wield Jesus' name and his honor and his authority as a weapon, we're doing so because of a fundamental misunderstanding of the way Jesus exercises his authority. The other misunderstanding that we see is in the way the Pharisees respond. So they see Jesus' undeniable authority, but again, they want to downplay it because they're afraid it's going to cost them something. They misunderstand Jesus' authority because they think that it's going to bring them earthly harm that outweighs the benefits of Jesus' kingship. They think that Jesus' authority is going to bring them death rather than life. And we, there are others of us that have this same tendency as well to want to downplay Jesus' authority. It can happen a lot when we're faced with sort of a cultural idea that contradicts Jesus' authority, um, such as like the idea that we all each have complete autonomy over ourselves and we get to choose how we spend our time, how uh, we're going to spend our future. And we want to downplay that because... We don't like people having authority over us. Um, I've certainly been that way. Uh, you can ask my parents after the service if you want. They'll definitely confirm that I've uh, had some authority issues in my life. Um, but that's a very human tendency to, to want to reject any claim to authority over us. And that's what the Pharisees want to do. Because they think that Jesus is going to lord his authority over them. And he's going to, in a sense, oppress them and make their lives worse by his authority. But that's because of a different fundamental misunderstanding of how Jesus uses his authority. So what we see here in this text in Luke is Jesus's authority is, is undeniable as we watch him make his way to his coronation. But there's still room for misunderstanding. So where do we look to correct that misunderstanding? We look to his actual coronation at the cross. Throughout, uh, throughout the Gospels, and especially in Luke, 
the, the gospel authors present Jesus' crucifixion as his coronation, as his enthronement as king. And that is where we see how Jesus uses his authority. At the crucifixion, Jesus is revealed as king, but not in the same way that he is in this text. The text we've been looking at is sort of a parade, if you will, on Jesus' way to his crowning. And so you've got all this fanfare. You've got really lofty and mighty things being said about him. But when, when his coronation actually happens, when his enthronement ceremony actually happens, it's done in a kind of upside-down way that doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't look like the way a king normally acts, but it reveals how Jesus, or it reveals that Jesus is authoritative and how he uses his authority. So let's think through the elements of Jesus's crucifixion, of his crowning there. So Jesus is dressed in fine clothing by Herod Antipas, but it's in mockery rather than in honor. Jesus is given a crown, but it's of thorns rather than of gold. And Jesus is anointed just as a king would be anointed, but instead of being anointed with oil, he's anointed with his own blood dripping down from his head. He is lifted up, but instead of onto a throne, he's lifted up onto a cross. And so each of these elements of the crucifixion narrative work together to prove undeniably that Jesus has authority as king. But they also prove that he is the kind of king who uses his authority to lay down his life for his people. Jesus isn't the kind of king who uses his authority as a weapon to destroy his enemies or lord it over his people to oppress them and bring them harm. At the cross, Jesus is shown to be a humble and self-giving king. He's shown to be the kind of king who exercises his authority, not by overthrowing his enemies through political or military might. It's actually the exact opposite. Jesus allows his earthly enemies to kill him so that he can defeat his real enemies of sin, death, and the devil. The crucifixion also proves that Jesus is not the kind of king whose authority makes life harder for his people or or makes them miss out on earthly benefit. The cross proves the exact opposite. At the crucifixion, Jesus is shown to be the king who takes on all the wrath of the Father that was reserved for us and dies in our place so that we can have life in his name. Rather than being a king that brings suffering upon his people, he's the king that takes our suffering onto himself so that we can have life. That's the kind of king Jesus is. And it's the cross that shows us that. And man, that like as we see in in this passage in Luke, that kind of kingship is very worthy of praise. And that's what we've been singing about. So man, let's, let's keep on singing about that incredible authority. Let's keep singing, raise our voices, declaring, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. That little bit that we didn't look at yet of the people's praise, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven.
What the people are declaring is that Jesus has come to bring peace between God and man, to to reconcile that relationship that was broken. And the only way that Jesus is able to do that because he is king and because he is the king who lays down his life for his people. Father, I thank you for Jesus's kingship. I thank you for the blessing of life in his name that you have given us. I thank you for your word that reveals Jesus's kingship to us and helps us to delight in it. Spirit, I pray that as we sing, that you would be palpable in this room. That, that we who know Jesus' authority would sing of it so loudly and joyfully that those who don't know Jesus' authority over their lives yet would be so, so captured by our joy and so, so captured by the glory that we bring to you uh, that they would want to follow you as well. Lord, continue to, to, continue to reveal to us how we might misunderstand Jesus' authority, continue to reorient our hearts and our minds to understand that, yes, Jesus is king, but he is a gracious and a humble and an incredibly kind and self-giving king. Help us to see that there is no other king like Jesus and there is no other way to life besides through him. It's in your name that I pray this.